I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Hotels.com, the world's leading online accommodation site. Now, I travel a fair bit. And every time I go away, I make sure to book through Hotels.com because they provide the best prices for hotels, vacations, Airbnbs, resorts, etc., etc., etc. You want a seaside apartment in my hometown in North Vancouver? You want a beautiful rental property in surf-friendly Costa Rica? Or perhaps you want to travel to Quebec City to visit the Plains of Abraham or maybe even a trip to Normandy to see Juneau Beach. Whatever it is, this website will find you the best place quickly and with the best possible price. What I love about the website is that they have a price guarantee. If you find a lower price elsewhere, they will match it. Plus, their mobile app is super easy to use, which helps immensely when I'm on the move. So for the listeners of Cool Canadian History, Hotels.com is offering $30 off select hotel stays of $250 or more. Go to usehotels.com slash coolcanadianhistory and punch in the code LISTEN30 when you make your purchase. So that's usehotels.com slash cool Canadian history and punch in the code listen 30 l-i-s-t-e-n 30 when you make your purchase there's really no point in booking elsewhere as hotels.com has everything you need travel easy today and book hotels.com hello and welcome to cool Canadian history I'm your host David Boris. Today, Season 4, Episode 2, The Pig War of 1859. The Pig War of 1859 turned a small, obscure island just off the coast of Victoria, British Columbia, into the epicenter of tension between Britain and the United States, threatening war between the greatest empire on earth and the world's fastest-growing industrial power. Today's book recommendation is Michael Vorey's The Pig War, Standoff at Griffin Bay, published by Griffin Bay in 2008, a readable and well-presented account of the events that shook the world in 1859. Okay. So the origins of the Pig War of 1859 lay in the dispute over a territory known by the Americans as the Oregon Territory and by the British as the Columbia District. This territory in dispute covered almost the entirety of the Pacific Northwest, 
stretching from the southern boundary of the modern-day state of Oregon to just north of the city of Prince George in British Columbia. This line, the one by Prince George, was commonly referred to as the 54th parallel and 40 minutes, or famously 5440, later becoming the name of a fairly well-known British Columbia rock band. So the territory had been in dispute since the early 19th century, with the Americans utilizing the famous phrase 5440 or fight to press their claims in the hotly disputed area, essentially claiming that American territory or the Oregon territory stretched all the way up to this 5440 line. Meanwhile, the British made claims to the Columbia District stretching south to the southern tip of Oregon. Interestingly, in 1818, both sides agreed to share the territory for 10 years, but the joint control of the region grew less and less tolerable for both sides. Now, this dispute was finally settled in one of the most important treaties in the history of the North American West, the Oregon Treaty of 1846. This treaty allowed for open sailing for both British and American vessels into the waters of the Pacific Northwest. Property rights would be respected in both areas, regardless of national origins. But most importantly, it was the 49th parallel that was agreed upon as the natural boundary between what became British Columbia and what became the Oregon Territory of the United States, effectively the modern-day border between British Columbia and the state of Washington. With this territorial dispute now settled, a major problem arose as to how to map out the borders when it came to the multitude of islands that dotted and complicated the water passageways of the Pacific Northwest. For instance, Vancouver Island's southern half, including the capital of Victoria, dipped well below the 49th parallel, as did numerous islands claimed by both sides. One of these islands in particular was the San Juan Island, which lay just east of Victoria in roughly 105 kilometers north-northwest of Seattle. What made this island so important? was the fact that it stood right at the mouth of the Salish Sea, blocking access to the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Essentially, this island acted as a natural defensive obstacle for anyone that might seek to attack the mainland of the Pacific Northwest through the Strait. Access to the Strait of Juan de Fuca could allow, for instance, an invader to move north towards the Strait of Georgia or south to Puget Sound, the locations of modern-day Vancouver and Seattle, respectively. Because of this important geographical position, both Britain and the United States maintained their sovereignty claims over the island. Now, by the late 1850s, the claims had yet to be settled, while the island itself saw a growing community of both British and American settlers. The Hudson's Bay Company, in fact, had a salmon-curing factory on the island. There were also sheep ranchers, a number of agriculturalists, and for the most part, everybody seemed to get along quite well. However, this was to change in June 1859, and this change would have international consequences. Before we continue, I just want to remind everybody listening that you can find us on all of your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. Now, if you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal 
or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal, you can just do a one-time donation. Patreon is kind of interesting. You can set up a donation per episode. So if you want to give us a dollar per episode, you can do that. We survive heavily on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, both on our Facebook page and on iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. Okay, so on June 15, 1859, a pig was found devouring potatoes on land belonging to American farmer Lyman Cutler. Knowing that pigs roamed freely on the island, it was perhaps not the first time Cutler had encountered a pig devouring his crops. Thus, Cutler shot and killed the pig in obvious frustration. The pig, however, belonged to British pig farmer Charles Griffin. Griffin confronted Cutler about the dead pig, which dissolved into a shouting match and fists were almost thrown. Cutler did offer to compensate Griffin for the dead pig, $10, which at the time would have purchased Griffin a new pig. However, Griffin refused Cutler's offer and instead reported Cutler to the British authorities. In turn, the British authorities threatened to arrest Cutler. In response, a number of Americans on the island approached the American authorities to ask for military protection for Cutler and for other Americans on the island if this incident was to get out of hand. Now, the American military officer who received the petition for protection was a man named General William S. Harney, military commander of the Department of Oregon. Harney was a Tennessee-born career officer who made a name for himself during the Mexican-American War and in the war against the Sioux. Now, it was also fairly well known that Harney had a deep distaste for the British, and upon receiving news of a possible threat to American settlers, he immediately sent a small military detachment to the island. Interestingly, this detachment was led by none other than Captain George E. Pickett, the very same Pickett that would eventually lead his division to disaster at the Battle of Gettysburg during the infamous Pickett's Charge in July 1863. Now, when James Douglas the governor of the recently created British colony of British Columbia, heard of this American military presence, he too sent a military detachment in the form of three British warships that were stationed in Esquimalt Harbor. These warships sat precariously just off the coast of the island, while the small American detachment under Pickett began to gather reinforcements from the American mainland, Pickett's force soon reached 500 men and 14 pieces of artillery. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. At this point, word had gotten back to both Washington, D.C. and London, England about the crisis that was brewing. In fact, 
if it wasn't for the level-headedness of a senior British naval officer, a war may very well have erupted. Now that senior officer was a man named Admiral Robert L. Baines. Baines had risen through the British Navy during the Napoleonic Wars and in fact participated in the Battle of New Orleans in 1814. He fought at the Battle of Navarino in 1827 when the British-French-Russian fleet defeated an Ottoman-Egyptian fleet during the Greek War of Independence and was eventually made admiral in 1855 during the final year of the Crimean War. Baines, with all this experience, was ordered by London to assist James Douglas, but in no way to escalate the matter. When Baines arrived in the region, Douglas ordered him to disembark Marines and to engage Pickett's troops. Baines refused, famously stating he would not, and I quote, involve two great nations in war over a squabble about a pig, end quote. At this point, two military forces faced each other, comprising three British ships, a total of 84 guns, and nearly 2,600 British and American soldiers and sailors, all standing toe-to-toe on and around San Juan Island. But official word finally came back from both Washington and London. No war was going to break out over a small island and the death of a pig. Baines's refusal to engage the Americans may have very well avoided an international conflict. As an aside, Baines's influence in the region is still felt today. For instance, he was responsible for moving the Royal Navy's Pacific headquarters to the naval base at Esquimalt. Baines's Sound, which is the channel between Demon Island and Vancouver, is named after Baines, and the town of Ganges on Salt Spring Island is named after Baines's ship that he commanded during the dispute. In the aftermath of this near-calamitous collision of nations, both sides began to negotiate. American General Winfield Scott arrived in the Pacific Northwest in October, and him and James Douglas set about discussing a peaceful resolution. The result? An agreed joint occupation of the island. The British set up a base camp on the north part of the island, with the Americans establishing a camp on the southern part of the island. The issue of who would eventually control the island was settled in 1872. What's interesting about this is the settlement of this issue has its roots in one of the most important documents in Canadian-American relations, the Washington Treaty of 1871. While the treaty itself was significant for America's recognition of Canada as a sovereign nation, it also agreed to an impartial arbitration on the San Juan Island dispute. None other than Kaiser Wilhelm I of Germany was to be this arbitrator. Wilhelm eventually decided to refer the matter to a three-person panel, which eventually found in favor of the United States, and in 1872, the San Juan Islands became part of United States territory. Both sides withdrew their military presence from the island, and the British recognized American sovereignty over the territory. While the Canadian public was angered by this decision and by Britain's acceptance of it, One of the final potential sources of conflict between Britain and the U.S., and thus Canada and the U.S., had finally been resolved. Today, incredibly, 
the Union Jack still flies over San Juan Island, raised and lowered by park rangers employed by the American government. The flag and the flagpole were a gift to the American government by the British, and San Juan National Park is one of the few places in the United States of America where a foreign flag is still regularly hoisted and flown on American soil. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. You can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And I want to thank you all for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Until next time, stay cool. Stay cool.